watching We Heart Therapy, the special series EFT Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Annabelle Bugatti, licensed marriage and family therapist and certified EFT therapist and soon to be certified EFT supervisor here in fabulous Las Vegas. And I'm really delighted today to have a special guest on with us. We have Dr. Karen Wagner. She's actually the EFT trainer in the Netherlands. She's the first certified EFT trainer in Europe. And she has it, she runs the EFT Center in the Netherlands. And she's has this tremendous background in working with mental health. And so we've invited her on the show today to talk about how to use EFT with personality disorders, which is a big one. <laughs> so thank you, Karen, so much for being with us today. Thank you for inviting me. It's quite an honor actually to be on your show. And we, one of the, I'm not maybe the first uh, person from outside the U.S., but definitely it's an honor to be on the show. Thank you. Well, thank you. You're welcome. So, Karen, I know we've heard Sue talk a lot about her idea of personality disorders. So, through the EFT lens, so let's kind of discuss, I know, I know, Personality disorders in general can be a very controversial topic. Yeah. And whether or not somebody meets the, the DSM criteria for a personality disorder, how would you say that EFT kind of conceptualizes personality disorders? Well, I think um, the, the whole concept of personality disorders is a misused concept. I think people... Uh, call difficult clients often oh that's a borderline personality uh, per, uh, disorder but I think that a personality disorder or borderline personality disorder uh, uh, needs to be focused as um, uh, as um, uh, a result of extreme insecure attachment as uh, I worked in a clinic where a lot of people were taken in for nine months uh, for a treatment um, and all, nearly all of them had real uh, adverse childhood experiences, lots of um, uh, in parental emotional unavailability and neglect. Um, and I think it has, uh, it's a combination of the child temperament and um, and the the the, um, uh, the temperament of the parent that's not really easy uh, in 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 interaction. So when a child is uh, has a lot of negative emotionality and impulsivity, it's a hard child to raise. And some parents are not really they, up, to the up to the task. And then there's a a, a lot of negative interaction uh, going on and I think also if there's a lot of poverty and there's a lot of uh, other maybe um, depression or any other kind of uh, 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 illness in the in the parents uh, then the there's such a strain on the on the parent on on the interaction between parent and child that and that a lot of Trauma also happens in the child's life. So, I mean, it's a combination of temperament of the child, temperament of the, of the parents, a lot of adverse, adverse um, uh, experiences. Uh, yeah, experiences and a lot of trauma. 
a lot of trauma. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of, I think there's such an, um, uh, an overlap between trauma and personality disorders. Sometimes it's even hard to know which, uh, where, what to focus on first. I mean, in our program, in the clinic, there, uh, gradually we, we saw that we needed to also separate um, trauma work and uh, not only group work or individual therapy, but also trauma work with these people. Yeah, so what I hear you saying, Karen, is, and, and I 100% agree with you, and in fact, I'm actually writing a book about having relentless empathy with difficult and challenging clients, and, and personality disorders is certainly yeah. one of the, and that's exactly, you know, the same sentiments I present in the book is that, you know, personality disorder can be something that gets overused or misused and kind of thrown out. I especially find it common lately where people use the term narcissism when they're describing somebody who lacks empathy or focuses on their interests, you know, or just doesn't, you know, have a lot of, they may be really hurtful. So they may not actually meet the criteria, but, you know, I, I like what you said is that, you know, true personality disorders, you know, can really be birthed out of a lot of environmental factors and it could be many different factors yeah Um, but from your clinical experience you've in almost you know in the majority of your clients you've noted that there's a lot of adverse childhood experiences and you know sometimes you know they may not have like there may not necessarily be abuse or trauma but you know if you have a child like you said that already has a more intensive emotional temperament and you have a parent that's maybe not a match maybe their coping skills are a little more avoidant then that can also help kind of nurture the roots of personality disorders and 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 really it can become an attachment trauma which often gets overlooked people don't tend to see that the impact of attachment trauma can be really more almost more profound than physical trauma right right? yeah absolutely and i think what also when it's not so much about the actual um uh, abuse but the neglect is much more insidious i mean there's maybe a child cannot say well my parent really hit me or Mm -hmm. but but being neglected not being seen not being loved for who you are that's so insidious and it's so it gives you such a negative feeling about yourself so the whole self is not developed in a, in a, in a nice, in a good way. And right. when, you, when you don't feel like you are loved, um, how can you be in a relationship with somebody else who, uh, I mean, you don't trust it. So one of the things that, that I really notice every time in, and still in all the couples that I see in my private practice is that there's so much, um, there's such a lack of, trust you know and like phonically he calls it epistemic trust that's not built in the in 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 the child and in the in the adult you know they don't trust other people as being wiser and older and somebody you are capable of learning something from that person so if there's so also in the therapeutic relationship you are not trusted as somebody who can give them something that's useful or uh, so the therapeutic alliance is 
breaking off very easily because when they see something that's that they think well this is not right you know they they just because there's such a lack of trust they say well you, you yeah you you're i ha you don't really like me you you hate me you so they need as a kind of concrete proof of your empathy of your love you know it has to be very concrete if you're not there for a session for instance because you forgot your session which is awful of course i mean nobody would like that but then the whole uh, the whole process yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 how, how you're saying that, Karen, is that, you know, and we often see this with clients that people would diagnose as personality disordered is that they are constantly looking for that concrete form of trust. And often they may test you as the therapist, like how, how much can I push you till you prove that you don't care about me, that you don't love me, that you're going to abandon me like everybody else in my life. Yeah. And you see that a lot more with, with um, folks that would probably fall under the borderline um, characteristics. But, you know, what I find the most is when the therapist also just kind of look at a client and deem, and I do feel like it's more of a judgment rather than a clinical diagnosis. When they look at a client and say they're very borderline-y or they're narcissistic, yeah. that it's not a clinical label to help treat them. It's a judgment. Right. And when look at a client through this lens we lose empathy and we lose hope that they can change yeah. and if we have yeah. hope it's also about our own fear of not being good enough as a therapist and not yes. being able to help them or not being able to yeah. hold them and to contain yeah. all the different emotions because it's not easy i mean yeah it takes everything is a bit more difficult you know being mm -hmm. holding the relationship holding the the working alliance, being being able to come close and and mm -hmm. stay there, or being able to uh, uh, to um, contain the yeah. uh, the breach or, or the the yeah the breach yeah. in trust. They don't do vulnerability very well, and they're more prone to kind of freaking out emotionally when something that would. A normal person would be bothered by but may not experience intensely yeah. someone along that realm would experience that much more delicately and traumatically yeah yes. yes but also you know um oh you said something important and then i kind of i lost my train of thought but that's okay um so you know like with borderline clients oh that's what i was going to say it's about neglect is that a lot of I have a lot of clients that come in that don't even realize they were neglected. It's like, it was just normal for my parents to not show me love, to not be around yeah. for me to learn things on my own. And then you find they take care of their own needs. And when they, they build a life around taking care of themselves, it's hard to open that umbrella to let others in under that, to help take care of their needs. And that's part of what can foster narcissism, right? Is, you know, self-focused, but if I don't know how to rely on others, yeah, I'm, I it's out of fear. It's out of fear of not, not, not being able to hold it, not being able right. to be, be really important to another person. And when you open yourself up and finally, and the other person will leave, then you're totally gone. So yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. That's true. And, yeah. and, and borderline, I think, you know, can be really hard because you see that they, 
really want you to be close. They, they really, they're, they're more open to letting people close, but then simultaneously as somebody gets close, if they get too close, they get a little scared yeah. and the trauma comes back up and they kind of push them away. And it can be really hard to get them to trust you. So that therapeutic alliance is so strong and so powerful. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. I had one client, I worked with her and her husband for more than a year now. So, and uh, I was looking at my tapes this week uh, and there was one tape uh, was, she came in and she had her hair nicely cut and I said, Oh, your hair is beautiful. She was smiling. She was really happy. And so it was the first five minutes of the session. And after that, um, she, there was something going on. I mean, he didn't, oh yeah, he said, I didn't notice that your hair was done. And, and she, she, you could see that, that her, her face was changing because he didn't see uh, her hair. She felt, I w I'm not important. And there was a sudden shift in emotional state. Uh, and it's, it, it takes only a minute or so. And from a really happy face, she was getting being angry. You know, it's, it's it's very interesting if you look at your tape. And I look a few tapes after each other, and the 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 uh, the flow in the conversation is is it's just like this. You know, it's it's good. Then it it breaks off. She's angry, and then we have to re he. I need to work really hard to repair between the two of them. And he's already, and then he's. He's the, he he's there again. She can focus on him. Then I do an enactment. Or he does an enactment to her, and then her, she closes her eyes because it's too hard to let it in. And then she she needs to close her eyes to regulate herself. And he is he is really good at staying with it because he knows this is how she does it. But it's very interesting if you look at the the face uh, where she doesn't look at him, and um, uh, and and then there's a, a moment of that she's in her window of tolerance, you know. Then everything is more or less quiet, and then something else happens, you know. Then he does something that's not right for her, or then she goes on. So that's it. It's a very complicated process actually to. But I'm 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 stick I'm holding on to it I'm sticking uh, uh, I'm I'm staying in the process for for as long as I need to and, uh, yeah. and yes. gradually there's a, a um, yeah. I love how you said the tolerance which is so pertinent to working with um, these types of clients so and in you know circling back in EFT so we really. You know, we're looking for the attachment trauma that happened, whether that's neglect, adverse childhood experiences. We don't just really see these things as coming out of a malicious place, but out of a hurt place. And it, it's a fear and pain. Yes. And we're really looking for that and trying to honor that and recognize the struggle that they have between, you know, as, as I think Sue once said, that a lot of it is a struggle between closeness and distance and how they manage that. And, you know, so a lot of times you're not gonna have people that come in with an official diagnosis, but I have had a lot of clients who 
will say, oh, well, I was reading online and, and my husband thinks I fit the criteria for borderline, or I think my husband's with a, you know, a narcissist. And of course, I just kind of cringe on the inside because I also see other therapists saying all kinds of things like, oh, your partner's a narcissist, you should leave the relationship. Yeah. Oh, goodness. So what, narcissists don't deserve to be loved? That's the worst advice ever, <laughs> you know, in my opinion. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, got to see them as people and I love how you're saying is that we got to tune in that with with clients that we might conceptualize as personality disorders that their window of tolerance is so much smaller and we have to be aware of that and watch the shifts and right. pay attention to those. yeah 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 I think that's that's really important to, to uh, be aware of that the window of tolerance need to be uh, 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 wide enough to do some work, and and at first I was not really aware that she's not that she was not in the window because she was either she is um, a kind of reactive stage, you know, uh, of state that uh, talking a lot but not herself. Um, so it it looks like she's in the window, but actually she is she is telling stories so it doesn't really um, it's not very well organized no no or she's so she's so into herself and she's she, there's so much emotion that's also a thing that i really had to learn because when i i i was working with personality disorders before i did eft and i was so really enthusiastic about EFT I thought I need, I cannot not take it into the clinic because so I just did it because that was the thing that I was doing um, so in the beginning I was really um, focused on going to the primary emotion but primary emotion could be so overwhelming and uh, that they didn't know what to do with it and so I needed to um, take smaller steps and be really um, uh, aware that if you go to too much pain that it's too big and then they just they go into a flop um, yeah. or into a yeah. hopelessness fast they could yeah. get so much going on and then the partner cannot be with with them because they he's a bit shocked oh my god what's happening here and then the, the connection between the two of them will not um, uh, uh, get made. So I, I, yeah. I work more slowly now, more delicately, every small step and, and, and see if they're still in the window or not. So that really helps. Yeah. So I like how it's really kind of what you're saying is that we would treat, you know, these kinds of issues very similar to trauma. You're going to go a lot slower. Right. And really to not go too deep too fast which is just good EFT work anyway right yeah. but you really we've got to pay attention to those micro moves especially I find so I want to kind of talk a little bit between the difference of how these different types of clients might present and then we'll come back to how to put that in the model but you know I think with clients that might fall under the conceptualization of borderline you know will show a lot more obvious signs of trauma and disorganized attachment. And I mean, that's really, it is just 
all the behavior is just so um, in line with disorganized attachment, right? right. And it, it's yeah. come here, but don't come too close, go away, but don't really go away, <laughs> you yeah. know? And that, that window of tolerance can sometimes only be a hair trigger away. And yeah. for a lot of the partners don't know where that trigger is and what sets it off. And then because the, you know, other person has so much trauma, that emotion can get really big, really overwhelming. And the partner just, I have no idea what to do with all this. This doesn't make sense. Why is she so upset? This is just a little thing or why is he upset? But so, and then with narcissism, I mean, I know, I know they've kind of conceptualized it into two different types that narcissism can either fall under the anxious attachment or the avoidant. You know, but really underneath it's this fear that people just, just like with borderline, I cannot rely on others securely to be there for me. Yeah. I kind of call narcissism the golden parachute method, right? Since in EFT, we see as behaviors as coping strategies that people have acquired to deal with these things. So, you know, if their attachment dilemma is, I don't know how to rely on other people to be there. In narcissism, it's just that golden parachute of I got to be there for myself to such a magnitude that and that magnitude, I think, really describes the level of distrust, right? Yeah, Is that I really don't trust people, I have to work harder to be there for myself. And that may even include giving myself self love, right? Like, you know, this is where you see the bigger egos, like I reassure myself, I tell myself how good I am, how awesome. And when you're constantly taking care of your own emotional attachment needs, there's not a lot of room for a partner to come into that yeah. umbrella, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. It can feel kind of off put because they want to get in, but the other person is like, no, you got to do it my way because that's the only way I know how to feel safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As, as also a, a kind of uh, uh, um, controlling of course it needs to be done in my way otherwise i don't feel safe enough and so the other person cannot really give something to the other person yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i had i had a couple uh, and the the man was really really anxious inside and he was on the outside he was everything what need, needed to be perfect he was uh, he he worked really hard um he was, he had a nice look, uh, everything, everything, everything was okay, but inside was so small. And when I, when I tried to um, uh, validate him for his inner fear and his, his feeling of being a small, lonely boy, I was too fast and he was so angry that he, I, it felt like I was um, almost, uh, um, how do you say that it felt for him that he was too vulnerable in the face of his in in the company of his wife that I, I said something about his vulnerability that he really um, he was really angry at me in a, such a sharp way that it was I was really taken yeah. aback but, oh just, he needs to push me away so fast you know because he he yeah. word. I find yeah. that folks along the narcissism 
the spectrum don't like is vulnerability. That is a dangerous word. Dangerous. I thought, oh, I'm going too fast. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I said something that's not really helpful for you. But he was, he said, well, I will never come back here and this is not safe and I don't want to be doing this in a couple therapy. I want to have my own therapist. So he went into individual and I think that was a real good choice. And after that, they, they both came to a couple sessions. So he needed to have some safe space to work on his own internal world. You know. Yeah. And that's where that therapeutic alliance is so, so important. And, you know, when I mentioned the anxious and the avoidant, so I'm sure some of the viewers are thinking, okay, so how does narcissism fall under those? So you have some narcissists who are pretty open about their vulnerability underneath feeling insecure, that their distress comes, like they, they have a good self-image, but the heart of their distress comes when their partner doesn't see them in that positive self-image. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's where their insecurity comes. They, they're pretty able to recognize, I know that I need this constant validation and approval to feel worthy about myself, but I also know that I work really hard to have good skills. But then you have the, the they call it covert narcissism, which is much more avoidant, where they really don't let people see, I kind of call it smoke and mirrors, where they kind of distract you with, you know, how awesome they think they are, so you don't really see underneath how vulnerable they're feeling. Mm -hmm. And they really don't like people to see, but if you get close enough, you'll see the cracks in the surface to the insecurity underneath. And they're really just looking to be loved like anyone else, but they don't know how to let anyone else come close and meet that need for them. So yeah, they may tell themselves, I love you, you're the greatest person in the world to themselves because I don't trust my partner to come and be with me and tell me that I'm great. You know, and if I open myself up vulnerably, I could become reliant on needing that or wanting it from a partner who may never give it to me. And that's too scary. Right. Yeah, scary. And part of that empathy goes out is um, when you avoid, and you find this with a lot of avoiders is they tend to numb out a lot of emotions. And when you're numb, you can't experience empathy because you have to be like a, an emotionally resonant chamber to have empathy. And if there's no emotion flowing through, there's no way you can feel empathy. But it's not from malice, you know. Yeah, no, no, absolutely not from malice. No. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You say it. You say it beautifully. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so, so Karen, tell us how. Okay. So we have clients that come in. And they're, they're telling you right off the bat, well, you know, my, my, they're throwing out these words, my husband's a narcissist, or, you know, I think I might fit borderline personality disorder. What, how would you handle that as an EFT or in session? Yeah. Well, I have hardly any people who, who come in saying, I, I think I'm a borderline personality disorder. When they come in, they, most of them, they have a diagnosis. So uh, they went to all these other therapies or they went to a clinic and they were treated for, uh, for their, like for the personality disorder. And now they wanted to want to come in with their partner because they feel it's very, very difficult to be in a relationship. So uh, I'm not the one most of the time who does the, the diagnostic uh, 
interview that has been done by somebody else, by a psychiatrist, for instance. So um, for me, it that's kind of cool, actually, when they know this is who I am and I have this vulnerability. And it's not because somebody said it out of... Um, uh, out of a reaction to, but that's yeah. it's the truth. I mean, it, this is what yeah. it is. Yeah. So then and, we I, start, and then we start working, and I say, well, I see it as a, a particular vulnerability in the way you relate to other people, and you relate to yourself, and you relate to in the way you relate to the world. I mean, it's not nice to be so sensitive. It's a kind of a interpersonal sensitivity that's really hard to live with. So how shall we, so shall we, shall we see it in this light? You know, that's a kind of sensitivity and that, that you, you take that into your relationship and your partner probably has a problem with it because yeah, there's that uh, small things can really lead to a big escalation and that impacts your relationship and the safety and you're afraid of your partner leaving you. And so let's look at your pattern. And uh, most of them know what EFT is. So they come in because I, they know that I'm, I'm an EFT therapist. So that's kind of mm -hmm. clear from the beginning, actually. And Let's suppose that they don't know. And I'm wondering if some of this might be an American thing, because I do know, in my, even in my own experience, I've had a couple clients come in, and they like to read these pop psychology oh, yeah. uh, articles online. It says five signs you might be borderline you know whatever so they come in and they say oh i think that i fit this okay. you know sometimes they're open about it and sometimes they just use it as a way to sort of hurt their partner but i also see therapists on facebook who will say you know what do you do if one of your clients exhibits narcissistic traits or you know borderline traits which again tells me that they're sort of going to the pathological side and not really seeing the person and the insecurities and the trauma underneath. Yeah. So what, so what can you speak to on that for therapists who are sitting there thinking, I wonder if this is a personality disorder? Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm not so fond of uh, um, saying, well, uh, you're probably this, you're probably that. I mean, uh, I say, well, okay, if you think your partner is a borderline personality, uh, um, does, uh, has a, a personality disorder, let's see how that plays out in your relationship. I mean, I'm not really looking for diagnoses. I'm, I'm looking for people who want to uh, understand how they are and how they impact each other in the relationship. So for, for me... It's about attachment, about attachment behavior, about pain, about being loved, not being able to love another person. So it, it, I hardly ever talk about the personality disorder at all. I mean, yeah, they come in and they say, this is who I am. Here's my diagnosis. Okay, well, we'll work with it. But I hardly talk about it, actually. Yeah, and I, I love it because... You know, and, and I know that Sue would absolutely agree because, again, EFT takes a non-pathological stance. And, and as EFT therapists, that's what our go-to strategy should be, is to look at the attachment distress, right. that the behaviors are just the coping strategies. Right. Right. That's and, what you work with. And 
it's it's not interesting at all i think to know what name it has sometimes it you need to know the name because you for them to know what their sensitivity is and that it's not it's not something that's bad but it's something they have need to live with they they, they have not asked to be this way i mean they were not asked they have not asked to have these parents they so life treated them in a horrible way you know uh, like my the 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 person i was talking about uh, that i see for more than a year now she had a, a, a horrible childhood and i think she did a marvelous job actually being the person she is now i mean with all her sensitivities but she she did a great job you know actually seeing what she already succeeded in in life i mean yeah and i try to help her get a better life with her partner yeah i love that so you're really saying be with the person and understand their attachment dilemma and their pain and focus less on a diagnosis and you know kind of stop pathologizing them and and look at you know through the attachment lens what you're looking at understand that the behavior is a sign of pain and trauma and and look yeah yeah and it's it's funny because my this this lady came in and she said i think my husband so she had the diagnosis and she said well i think he is autistic he's on the spectrum i said okay yeah well could be i mean why do you think he's on the spectrum i don't know what you mean exactly but on the spec i know what she means but I, i don't want to step into the whole thing you know uh, because sometimes he is so she said well he's he's not really sensitive and he doesn't um, know what i mean when i have all these emotions and it turns out that he's so overwhelmed by all her emotions that he needs time for himself to figure it out to sort it out and to feel uh where's my space i'm i'm i there's hardly any room for my thoughts or for my feelings so he he shot he shot his thing off you know it's, it's more like a withdrawal actually than on the spectrum and now i now that i work with him for for a while he's not on the spectrum he was overwhelmed he was anxious he was he was just moving away from from the intensity yeah 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 and that happens and so often when we see one partner shut down that can be you know, seen by the partner, whether their personality disorder or not, you just find this very common in therapies. When one person feels overwhelmed by the emotions, they may shut down. And when they shut down, they're not available emotionally. They're not present. And it's hard to be responsive yeah. to their partner. And that lack of responsiveness leaves their partner feeling not cared for, not seen often. Yeah. And not loved. Yeah. 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 And then that's the moment that she says, well, I think we, we, I, we can't have a relationship. I, we need to break off because you, uh, you make me so miserable. Uh, and actually, he's trying to do some work, you know, on his own company. And he's trying to spend some time with, with his uh, sons. Or, so there's nothing really happening. But for her, it feels like a total abandonment. You know, I'm not important yeah 
So, and then she, the, when she says, I'm, I think I'll break it off. I mean, this, this happened in the last year. I think we had five moments that she said that she emailed me and saying, well, um, I broke off the relationship. So uh, can I have a session alone? I said, I don't think so. Uh, I have no time in between. We, our, our conjoint session is done and then I will see you then. And then they both came. Yeah. So I, I'm not stepping into that yeah yeah you don't step into that getting into diagnosing each other and just throwing those labels about but understanding what the attachment significance is there that oh yeah. when i'm seen i don't feel loved again because all this comes back to feeling loved in some way that's always at the base yes and so through this you know if we're in stage one we're we're working on helping them send clear emotional signals right so the person who's you know might be really reactive and has that hair trigger kind of trauma responses we're going to help them organize that and turn to their partner and say right here i get scared right i i show it i get really angry really fast but really what that's about is me getting scared that maybe you don't love me right yeah and yeah. That would be a new signal that would help change the dance because that's not what their partner sees. They don't see their partner as scared. They see them as angry and, yeah. you know, nitpicking. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's really beautiful and it's really important. And I love, you know, that the focus just, you know, you keep bringing it back as a clinician to how they feel loved. And that's really the heart of the insecurity is not being loved. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so can you also help? So I know, especially with, you know, clients that are more turned away more on the avoidant side, you know, personality disorder or not, can you help? I know a lot of them in session will say, you know, well, why do I need to be vulnerable? Why do I need to talk to my partner about my emotions? what's the big deal being being emotional is not good right mm -hmm. so how would you sort of address that in session um so then we're talking about another kind of client that's more on the on the withdrawn side avoidant side yeah, um, like you know narcissists that struggle with vulnerability like if I do such a good job of taking care of it on my own and it works just fine for me, why do I need to open up and start relying on my partner? Why, why is it so terrible to yeah. rely on? I, in, in, I, in the clinic where I work, we had two um, departments. One was the more borderline uh, um, externalizing kind of problems and the other was internalizing so more the avoidant and narcissistic was not so much part of the clientele there so that it's not i have not so much experience with the narcissist but with the avoidance these people were so used to being on their own but felt so lonely inside i felt so not seen, not important, in, uh, insecure, not being able to step out in the world and say, well, this is who I am and this is what I can do. If they were in a relationship, and, so, and most of them weren't, um, then the partner had a real hard time 
showing their love to this to this person you know so they they really wanted to be there for them but the 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 client so to speak was not able to take it in and so there was a lot of there was nobody on the dance floor actually so and that also felt really really sad and lonely and empty inside so when you want to help them to get a more connected relationship because they feel so lonely they need yeah you need to help them to come out of their shell you know so to say well if your partner wants to be there for you and you are not able to to receive that then there will be no you will never be you will never feel that you're loved so we need I'm really interested in your inner world, you know. So I think the first step is that you as a therapist says, it's hard for you to open up, but I'm here and I want to know all about you. I'm very curious to know who you are. So this is, I think that you model for the, for the client that there's somebody who has the time and the interest and the curiosity and the empathy to be there for them uh, how long how long it will take to actually yeah how long it will need it, it, it maybe we have to do this for very small steps every every time but we, I'm, I'm here you can talk to me so in the group therapy it was quite a lot of silence, you know, because we had nine of these clients together in the group and nobody was talking because they all felt, I'm not important, you know, and I can't trust that you are really interested in me. So it was a, a very slow process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think being very transparent and very interested, like a good mother, actually, uh, and, and every small sliver they give you, you validate and you say, oh, this is wonderful. And this is the first step you, you, t- you took to say something about your insecurity or about, about your sadness. Or about, I mean, you, you validate the hell out of them, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. And I, I like that because even sometimes you'll have the clients, one of the hallmark things they'll say is, but yeah, that's, I just got used to that, right? They're used to nobody responding and they learned to live without it. Yeah. And How that, I mean, yeah. Horrible. Yeah. 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 And yeah, they don't see it as horrible because it's just normal in their world. Right. And that's, you know, where a lot of that neglect shows up is that, yes. you know, I'm used to it. It doesn't bother me anymore, <laughs> you yeah. know, because they've adapted. So that's that adaptive strategy is to avoid needing it because I never had it and couldn't rely on it. So you're really asking them to open up their world, their trust, their vulnerability and risk allowing that to be a possibility and wanting and depending on that again, which is kind of like what a stage two, a deep stage two would look like, you know, when you're talking about seeing yourself as a person with needs, that's step five. Mm-hmm. And allowing yourself to tap into those needs again and desire them and rely on somebody else emotionally. That's mm-hmm. really risky for somebody that's never had that before. Yeah. And actually, if they, if they open up, uh, first they cannot really trust that it's really true. And then all of a sudden they start to feel 
it's so sad that I have never had this before. And then there's a whole, a whole sadness that's so overwhelmingly big. I mean, and then the anger comes, you know, uh, why didn't I have this? And so yeah. the, the whole assertiveness about I'm a person too, and I want to, yeah, I, I want to be guided. I want to be nourished as well. But that's yeah. a later uh, thing in the process, of course. Yeah. And I find, I think one of the, the biggest struggles right in that place is, is making that first contact where they are very um, hesitant to, to see themselves as having needs. It's like, well, I lived with it for so long. I've learned to be successful and live just fine without it. Why do you want to shake up my world in this way? Yeah. And they have a lot of pushback. I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't need to do that, <laughs> yeah. right? Because I learned to live without it. And now you're threatening my survival again. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. And I think when I, 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 I'm thinking about animals, you know, sometimes they, the only person they have is their dog or their cat or, and uh, the, the closeness or the, the love or the, 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 the affection that they feel for their animal. I mean, it's a start uh, that, that this is about affection. This is about warmth. This is about, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, um, also, like a bodily experience, experience to have something warm on your body, you know, like a cat or a dog. Or, I mean, I think also when people have no language because they are so used to being silent, the body is a good entrance, you know, to 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 start to feel something. And so sometimes you need to work with the body more than than yeah. in people who have more language. Yeah. Yes. Even that I found can be a struggle for the clients that have been neglected or compartmentalized in their head is that when you first try to ground them in their emotions in their body, you can still sense that they're, they're talking about their emotions from their head space. Yeah. And they're yeah. like, why, why do I don't know what my body feels? Why is that important? <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. I want it to help you feel your emotions to get into them and Yes, there, there will probably be some pain that comes up, but also to have joy and elation, you know, and passion, all those things that also help relationships and attachment and bonds abide over time, right? Yeah. Yes. Being able to feel happiness more deeply. Yeah, 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 that's true. Because when every, when one, when one emotion is pushed down, all the other emotions are pushed down too. So that if there's, if you don't want to feel your sadness, then there's also no joy. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. No playfulness. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's right. So this is really beautiful, Karen. So I love just that, the really big emphasis in attachment and EFT on being with the person, not a diagnostic label. No. Or, and be careful that we're not, that we're not using it as a judgment, you know, especially if, you know, these are not labels that people are using as a way to help a client. They become a way to label them as challenging or difficult. And push them away. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. doesn't serve the client and it doesn't serve the therapist. And so when we can be with them and recognize their attachment dilemma, then it's so much easier to have empathy for them. Cause at the end of the day, they're just wanting to be loved. Right. And 
the disorder conceptually is just the behaviors, the adaptive strategies that they've adapted to cope with not feeling loved. Yeah, and with abnormal situations where they have grown in, where they have uh, um, been in as a child. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So Karen, let's talk a little bit more about you. So do you offer training? Do you have writings on personality disorders and EFT? Where can um, people learn from you? Yeah, well, I, I'm, uh, most of my trainings, of course, are in Dutch because I, get, I do work, a two-day workshop with e, uh, about EFT and uh, uh, personality problems, personality disorders. Um, I'll do it in English in Ireland now and in Romania and in Naples on the EFTA um, conference. Um, and I wrote a book in Dutch uh, about relationships, but that's in Dutch, of course. It's actually translated into Hungarian, so that's really nice. Um, and um, yeah, I do all kinds of... Uh, um, trainings not only on personality disorders i um and we also um are in the middle of uh organizing our fifth eft conference in the netherlands it's about eft in the body um so uh yeah we're doing all kinds of stuff you know yeah if if folks want to fly you out to the states to do a training they can contact you and get something scheduled Yes, if they think it's interesting, I would. It would be lovely. I've lived in the states for years, so I, I I love the people, and I would really love to do something. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Now, do you have a website? How can people find you? I have a website. It's Wagenaar uh, Psychotherapy, um, and you can you can find some stuff over there and uh, on the on the website. And uh, you could also go to www.eft.nl. That's the website of our Dutch EFT Foundation. And there's information on the website about all the trainings we do in, in Holland. And, um, and on, yeah, maybe ICEF website. I don't know if, yeah, I'm on the website there too. So you can find my, uh, my name and my, my number. Have an email so that folks can email you. Yeah, um, uh, Karin Okay, perfect. And I'm gonna put, because um, you have the beautiful, beautiful accent, um, but it can be hard to understand how to spell <laughs> something that's that's in an accent. So I will um, put the link to your website and your email address in the description for this video on YouTube. Guys, Karen is just absolutely lovely. She's a tremendous leader and EFT trainer doing amazing things in the Netherlands and just did a training at the International School in London. So if you guys haven't gotten a chance to attend a training there, make sure you look them up. And she's going to be planning the next EFT summit in Netherlands in Amsterdam. Yeah, so we're going to look forward to information about that. And as I said, I'm going to put uh, the links to Karen's websites in the description for this video. So guys, please email Karen if you have any questions, if you want to have her come out for a training, that will be really excellent.
And I just want to say thank you again to all of our viewers. And just make sure that you hit subscribe because more videos are on the way. <laughs>